0: Okay, so uh, last week, I started a series, a small series that I refer to, I call it Owning the Mission, and um, we're going to pick up what I would call part two of this, it's actually four parts, so t- last week on Wednesday night, tonight on Wednesday night, and then next week on Monday and Tuesday in the daytime, if you can possibly make it during the day, I will be speaking at about nine o'clock in the morning, nine nine thirty. I don't know exactly when, um, but I'm going to be c- concluding a couple of things on this topic of about owning the mission, and so uh, so that's you can plan on that. And I would encourage you to come uh, to the Bible, to the Vision Conference. We have some really good um, guest speakers are going to be here. We've got some. We're going to try to either have we have videos from our missionaries on field. Or we're going to live stream them. I'm, I think probably the videos are going to work the best this year. Our internet Wi-Fi connection—not not Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is working. What's not working is getting out of the building, uh, and that's a that's so that's something that you guys can all pray for because the we do a lot and we need access to the to the cloud to what they they call the cloud these days or get on the get on the internet, um, and so. Um, we're praying for a, a higher speed connection that works better. So you can pray for that as well. And um, maybe one day that'll that'll happen. And we did have a good connection, um, but uh, we lost it and uh, can't get it back right now. So anyway, owning the mission. Now, let me just kind of give you a real quick background. Owning the mission is something that, that uh, I, uh, God laid on my heart a year ago, Vision Conference time last year at Vision Conference. God laid on my heart to... That we're missing something, um, that either me or the pastoral team, maybe they're maybe they're doing it, and I'm just missing it. I don't know, but um, you know, I've I've been missing some things, and uh, one of them is is helping you identify your mission. And so I do believe every every Christian has a mission, and so that's kind of what I'm talking about last week, tonight, and this and next week is what does it mean to find and own your mission? And, uh, and so we're going to talk about that th- this week. So I'm going to try to get through some things. Uh, tonight, I'm going to start out pretty much where, where we did last week as far as a, an introduction and laying a foundation of what we're con- what I consider tonight regarding the concept of owning the mission. So I want to kind of, because there may be some people in here that are not that haven't been here, uh, that weren't here last week. and, that's, and if So if you are here, if you were here last week, you're just going to get a double whammy of it. At least the introduction part, the rest of it will be hopefully fresh. So we're going to start with, uh, and I think there's a handout out on the uh, connections counter. If you want a handout, you can follow along with the notes. Uh, Pretty much the handout follows everything that's on the PowerPoint. So you can kind of keep track of where I'm at, because that's how I keep track of where I'm at, is what's on the PowerPoint. Um, Okay, so, uh, so let me just start with this. Now, you may not really, I mean, everybody knows basically in in here what church is. When we say, I'm going to church, we know what we're talking about. You know, we're talking about this location, but we're also talking about this group of people, right, the church. But here's something that maybe you've never really thought about. To the church, to the church follows uh, or falls, falls the greatest privilege that can be given to man. For you and I, we have the greatest privilege because of who we are. You may not even realize you have such a great privilege. Now, what is that privilege? The great privilege is that we are able to represent the one true God, the living God, the only God, the creator God, the, the giver of life God, the God. We we have the, the opportunity to represent the one and the only living God in all his grandeur to the entirety of the world. That is a huge privilege for you, for everybody in this room Everybody in this building, no matter where they're at, what, what, you know, during the week, um, we're really, even if they're not saved yet, because eventually they'll get saved, I hope, and then once they get saved, then they, then they step right into this role. But well, we have the responsibility, the, 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 the privilege of representing uh, God. This representation is accomplished by the fanning of a flame that should be in your heart. Every one of you should have a, a flame in your heart burning to represent Christ, represent God, represent his word his his influence in the world, and so um now it's easy for many Christians to disregard or ignore that flame, and I don't want you to do that I, I believe that everybody has the opportunity to have a burning fire inside their heart. I talked about this at length last week uh, there's a there, you have the passage you have a you should have a passion to want to represent God. But it's, in many in many cases for Christians it's easy to disregard or to ignore that flame in their heart, or they just want to snuff that flame out. You know, um, they just don't want to do anything. They want they want what God is offering, what God is offering is salvation, eternal life, never have to die, all that kind of stuff. But I don't want to do anything for it. It was a free gift, and so free means free. I don't have to do anything. Yeah you're right. If that's if that's where you're at, if you think, well, you know, God gave me a free gift of life and I don't have to serve him because it's free. Don't think about it that way. You should have a passionate desire to want to represent God to the world. He is your king. He is your God. He is the giver of your life. And you should want to, re- to re- reflect him in, in that way. For example, let me give you a classic example that I have here. and I think it's on the screen. Yeah. If you turn over to Luke chapter 24, verse 32, and I mentioned this last week, and this is just a really good place to see scripturally what I'm talking about, about this heart, this passion that you should have in your heart. Luke 24 and verse 32. Let me see how far back I should want to go. Okay, so there's two guys walking on the on the road to Emmaus, these two disciples. They're walking on the road to Emmaus. They're talking about everything that has happened in Jerusalem recently, and, and, and they're having a conversation with them. Um, in verse 30, let's just go there and start at verse 30. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat, and blessed them, that would mean they met Jesus. They didn't know he was Jesus at the time, but they met him there. And he, and he, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sights. And this is what they said. During the course of the conversation, they described their circumstances. They said to, him, to each other, Did not our heart burn within us when he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the Scriptures? That's an incredibly amazing statement. Didn't our heart not burn? I don't think that they wanted their heart to burn, but they acknowledged that their heart was burning because of who was speaking to them, because who had done what he had raised from the dead and he is alive. And they got to see him firsthand uh, Two two eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be cool if you could be a witness, an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ? Now, if you were an a eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ, do you think your heart would burn with a desire to share that with the whole world? That's what they're talking about. My, my, heart does, my heart was burning, they said. But look at verse 34. Verse 33. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they said, okay, so yeah, that, my heart was burning. Let's go home. So they were ignoring the, the passion that was in their heart at that moment. They were ignoring that. I talked to you last week as well about uh, about Jeremiah, and we won't take the time to go through that. I'll just throw, throw the verse up on the screen. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. Jeremiah said the same type of thing. He said, I will not make mention of him. He's trying to get out of serving God. And, you know, this is what we would do. We try to get out of serving God sometimes. And he says, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones and I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. He couldn't stay silent is what he's meaning. I could not stay silent. I have to keep talking. My heart is on fire. And what I'm hoping to do is lay some groundwork for you to begin. Not, I don't think, I don't think anything is going to change immediately, although that would really be cool if it did. But I, what I would like for you guys to do between last week, this week, and next week, that's what I'm talking about, is I really want you to pray about how how do you own the mission? How do you own the mission? And what are you doing to own the mission? I'll talk about in more detail about what that actually means, at least how I would explain it here shortly. But every one of us should be that way. Pray for a passionate burning in your heart that you that the fire can't be quenched, that you don't want to put the fire out, you don't want to snuff it out, you don't want to to uh, go to embers you want it to be raging hot all the time so that you have to do something and that's where jeremiah was at Jeremiah did that i'm not going to um go through all of that part about jeremiah that i that i that i talked about last week just for the sake of not talking about it all again um but god defined his call to jeremiah uh to be a prophet our day we would call ourselves a preacher of the things and of the word of god and jeremiah declined the call Claiming that his his youth disqualified, he found that he found a reason for not serving God. Don't we do that? I could never do that. I I I uh, I, I work too much. I don't know the Bible. I have I, I'm not a good uh, speaker. Uh, I know when I first got an opportunity to teach or to speak in front of a group, scared me to death. And I'll tell you right now, this actually is not much different than then. You know, it, but, you know, the reason that I can do this is because I have a passion to talk to you about this very type of thing, because I want you to have a passion to talk to others about this very same thing. And so uh, God worked out, worked Jeremiah over. He says in Jeremiah 20, verse 11, and I think that's on the screen there. He says, but the Lord was with me. See, he was saying, I can't speak. And God said, don't worry about that. I'll give you the words to say. But the Lord is with me is a mighty, terrible one. Therefore, my persecutors shall stumble and they shall not prevail. The people that I'm afraid of that are trying to keep me from talking, they're not going to be able to because God is with me. He's going to give me the word. You'll never have to worry about failing. I don't think you could ever fail sharing somebody, sharing with somebody your passion for God. You could never fail to do that. You might walk away later on and say, oh, I wish I had said this. That's not failure. That's just a reminder. Oh, next time I will say this. You know, it's okay to do that. It's fine to do that. It's it's not a problem to do that. So what I want to do over, let me just kind of repeat myself a little bit. So last week we talked about a chance to lay a foundation for owning a mission. Tonight I want to talk more about exploring the significance of your role in God's mission. Every one of us, as I said at the beginning, has a role to play in mission. Every one of us have a role to play because we have a part to play, because we have part of us, and we have a responsibility to mission. And then next week, on the 4th, uh, which is Monday, uh, Vision Conference, I'm going to be talking about occupying in your role. The Bible is very clear. The Bible never leaves anything to chance. He tells us in, in, the, in, the, in the book of Luke, Jesus Christ says to occupy. And I'm going to break that down for you on, on Monday about what it did mean to occupy. I think you probably already can think about where I'm going with that. Owning and occupying, they kind of go hand in hand and then uh, and then on tuesday the 5th i'm going to identify your resistance to occupying uh there's some scriptures that uh, really give us a good outline of what typically people say i can't do this because of that and we're going to break those down and we're going to destroy those i can't do this because of that behaviors we're going to we're going to wipe them out we're going to eliminate them from your life so you never have to say i can't do that because the only, only because justified is, well, I don't, I don't think I can think of one. So we all have a responsibility. So that's kind of where we're going. So what I hope to do is to stir up your mind uh, and your soul so much that you are moved to do two things. This is what I really want from you is, number one, is I want you to will, uh, how will to determine how you will contribute to the propagation of God's mission. How will you contribute to the propagation of his mission? That's a that's a significant consideration for everybody. The second thing, I think it's up there. Let's see, there we go. Uh, The second thing that I would like for everybody to do is determine how you will be challenged about what is or what can be your role in God's mission. There are some people that don't actually have a role right now; they're just they're just here. That's okay. It's you know maybe I mean when I first got saved. I didn't have a role to play i was just I was just there i was I'd go to church and I'd learn and i'd listen and and i would i would uh take in what was being said and taught and you know the the atmosphere the the people the environment you know the first thing I ever did was to mow the grass at church that was that for a long time that's all I ever did was mow the grass and uh and so that was that was me beginning to occupy to own some work this needed to be done grass needed to be cut so i'll cut it i'm available so i did that that was how i started and that's fine Uh, so what do i mean by own the mission let me let me define some things here for you real quick to own the mission means to possess to own the mission mission to own something means to possess it you know how it is if you own a car you you're the you're the owner right you're possessing you have it it's your car and if you own it it's not my car i might borrow it from you but it's not my car, it's your car. And so you own it, you possess it. Uh and it refers to that which belongs to somebody. Things that are if you if you own them, you it belongs to somebody. Uh and it um it also indicates a right to hold, a right to keep, a right to maintain. I know sometimes nobody wants to maintain their car because it's not cheap. But sometimes but do you have the right to also retain? that which you own. So if you put those thought processes into mission, just imagine uh, I have the right to hold mission. I have the right to keep mission. I have the right to maintain mission and to retain mission. That, every one of us should have that, not just pastors, not just mission ministry leaders, but every single Christian um, that's in, in this church and who walks on the planet, uh, uh, that if they're a Christian, that's where they should be. So to own the mission, to own the mission then means that a Christian, a believer, will possess, will keep, will hold, will maintain, will retain God's mission, which we defined last week very clearly. And I'll go back over that definition for you real quick here in a few minutes. But do you, do you see what, what, what we're going? To own it, to own mission means that it, it's, it's, it's yours, not the entirety of the mission, because the entirety of the mission is actually God's mission. But we should own a part, a part of it, a piece of it, uh, to do something with it. To own the mission, then, is you possession. You possess a functional role in the mission. I I think I got the word "the" emphasized there, for the reason because the mission is actually God's mission. So, so if you're owning the mission, then you are possessing a functional role in the mission. And in particular, passionately possessing it. Passionately possessing it. So for the purpose of validating and advancing the gospel by way of this, this is what this is what this does for us. It um first it prepares you to fully own your role in the mission. Now, maybe you don't have a place right now where you can call that your mission, but you should be planning for it. You should be striving for it. Okay, how do you start praying for what your mission is? Well, you start praying. Where, where, God, would you have me to serve in this church? I don't know. Have you ever been on the website, our church's website? How many people have ever been on our church's website? Okay, most everybody. Have you ever looked at how many actual ministries are listed on the website? I think there's like 30-something of them, different ministries out there, that you can possess the mission and plug into any one of those and still be possessing the mission. Because all I'm looking for is for every one of us to find a place to plug into the mission and own it. That's what, that's what I'm talking about. Secondly, preparing the purpose of validating and advancing the gospel by way of preparing others to own their role. Okay, so you first you prepare yourself and then you prepare others to own the mission. On their mission, you're not not your mission. You're not trying to transfer this your mission to them. You're trying to get them. What you're trying to do is you ever started a fire with a stick? No, it's not easy, is it? You know, you get little strikers. You know, you got all kinds of ways. If you were in scouts, you got all kinds of ways to light a fire. Well, that's what you're doing when you're when I'm talking about this: preparing others by lighting a fire in their heart, so that they would want to possess part of the mission. And own it, and execute it. That's that's the second thing that we're talking about here. The third thing is prioritizing your role over other ways to use your time, your talents, and your treasure. So, what do I mean by that? Prioritizing your role, your mission role, over everything else in life. So, I mean, you have to do everything else in life. There's, there are certain things you have to do. You have to pay your bills. You have to you know, I was looking out of the yard. And I'm thinking, I got to cut the grass. This grass is growing. Those things have to be done, but they don't take it. They don't take top priority over owning the mission. That's what I'm talking about here with this, this number three. And number four here would be identifying yourself with the heart of ministry, like Jeremiah, like Paul, like others, having a heart that's burning. I can't stop because my heart is on fire. And if I don't, do something, the flame is going to burn me up. I've got to, I have, it's my passion, I have to serve, I have to speak, I have to do something. Okay, so just kind of remember some definitions that we had. So what is the mission that we're talking about? When I say the the mission, the the emphasis, the mission. Okay, here's, here's a statement you, you, you need to hang on to. Mission exists because God is a missionary God. That's a very important concept. Missions exist, mission, Exists because God is a missionary God, and I give you three verses, and we talked about those last week, so they're on the screen. John three seventeen, for God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that He, or but, but that but that the world through Him might be saved. So that's part of the mission. That's a part of the explanation of the mission. Galatians chapter four verse four, Paul writes, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. That's part of the mission. He sent his son. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, John writes, in, it was, in this was manifested the love of God toward us, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. That's God's plan for you, for every Christian. That's really, those three verses right there, that's what you should carry in your heart, burning in your heart that you want to give to somebody else. Your passion or desire is to give that. So mission begins because or missions. I think I skipped a line. No, I'm in the right place. Okay. Missions begins in the heart of God at the execution of his initiative to which every human can respond. So he, so it begins in his heart and he executes his initiative to reach every person. So to own There we go. To own the mission implies that everyone, every believer must find a way to connect or to conduct missions in a way that is dependent on God and in line with his plan. So your mission needs to be tracking with his mission. What is his mission? That the world would be saved, that his son would come, and that his son would would be the way that we might live through him. And so your mission is to communicate that truth to the world in some way, even if it's a small part. And uh, I'll clarify some things here in just a moment about some other things. So to own the mission is to imply um, that everyone must find a way to conduct. And then the message of the mission, the message of mission is the redemptive love uh, and grace of God. What are you communicating in the mission? God's love and God's grace for every person the, on the planet. And the motivation is by his great love, by which he sent his only begotten son into uh, on a rescue mission. If you look at Luke chapter 19, I think it's on the screen. I don't know if you can see that. Uh, verse 10 says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's his mission. So think about it. Just look at it from the Godhead. God had a mission. His mission is to redeem, and, and I'll, I'll get you the definition. I said it last time, but we'll, we'll go ahead and I'll mention it now. God's mission is to restore His image in lost man by means of salvation. So if you could just hang on to that statement, there. God is. Their mission exists because God is a missionary God, and um, uh, God. God's mission is to redeem, is to re- recover the world, to restore His image in lost man by means of salvation. And so your role. Is to make sure that it happens. So, Christ came to seek and to save. Christ came to seek and to save and to give His life for the world. And you remember what John, uh, what First uh, John chapter four verses nine and ten says? I don't think it's on this. Yeah, that's up so there. In in this was manifested the love of God. All of this, everything I'm talking about, God's mission is a is, is happens because God loves the world. His mission, his desire to restore his image and lost man by means of salvation is because he loves everybody there's not a person that has ever walked on the planet that God didn't love a human being. put it that way I mean there's not one person that God does not love or never has not loved anybody he's loved everybody, and so his his mission is because of his love in verse first uh, John four nine and ten it was manifested in this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might through that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God did what he needed to do. God continues to do what he needs to do that you might be uh, saved, alive eternally, because he loves you. And all all God wants you to do is take take a piece of that, ministry, that mission, make it yours, and communicate that same truth through what you do. God's mission is God's plan for all of humanity. Remember 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. I know this is not on the screen. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay, so... Then let's talk about the mission then. Um, God's mission is his plan for all of humanity. God desires. Uh, let's see where I'm at here. God desires to restore his image in lost man by means of salvation. I think I mentioned that already. Now you can see it on in tech in, in print. Our mission is to support God's mission by finding out where we can be a part of the mission. So let me say that again because I went through that quick. Our Our mission is to support God's mission by finding out where we can be a part of the mission. Every one of us has a the mission place where we should plug in and be a part of. Every one of us be a part of that. I know that sounds a little scary and intimidating because people are like, I don't think I can do that. And that's why we have Tuesday's session to eliminate all of your I can't do it for this reason stuff. We're going to we're going to chop them down as many as I can anyway. Because I've had them all too, I'll tell you what I you know like I can't speak, I don't know the Bible, uh, I could never do that, I could never go there, I could I couldn't I couldn't give up my job, I couldn't do this, I couldn't do that, I've done it all, I've said it all, but you know what I'm kind of like Jeremiah, where the passion was so so burning in my heart that I had to. I was trying to think this morning this afternoon um, when uh, when we had an opportunity in two thousand the year two thousand. Uh, we had a missionary come from Belarus, and he was he was looking for a big. He had a big project. He needed he needed people to come to the to the field to work with him. And I don't know. I mean, I just I went to our missions pastor and says, "I don't care what's going on. I don't care what it's going to take, but I want to be a part of it." And that, that, that was I was so motivated. So I didn't. I mean, I didn't know anything about Belarus. I didn't know anything about this missionary. I didn't know anything. But I'm like, I I didn't even talk to Julie yet. I went to my mission pastor. I want to be a part of what this is going to be. I don't know what it looks like, but I want to be there. That's the passion that I need you guys to to fire up in your heart, to stoke that fire all the time, To be and not just stoke it in yourself, but in others too. Okay, so our mission is to support God's mission by finding out where we can own a part of the mission. So to own the mission is to plug yourself in somewhere so that the lost have a way to be restored by God through your effort that you contributed in a small or a large way, either one, for God's mission to be manifest. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, For it is God who which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. See, if you just give God a chance, he'll work through you. But you've got to be plugged into his ministry so he can work through you. Because if you don't plug in... You become an obstacle, you become a block, and God can't get to who you had the opportunity to get to if you would just plug in. Does that make sense? I'm hoping that's tracking well. Okay, so I need to be really clear here again. Let me just say this. I said this last week, but let me say it again. Um, God's mission is carried out by the means of the structure of the local church. So what I'm talking about, the things I'm talking about, you really can't do if you're not in church. You want to know why we have church? We have church so we can have mission. We have church so we can have mission. No Christian can own the mission, own any part of the mission, if they do not know what the mission is. You can't own something you don't know what it is. No Christian can own the mission if they do not desire to be a part of what God is trying to get done in the world. If I mean, if you don't want to be a part of it, you can't be a part of it, because you will keep yourself from being that part. That's what Jeremiah was trying to do. He was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just going to stop talking about God. And every time he turned around, he had an opportunity to talk about God, and he did. What every Christian must do is identify the mission and then look for a point. Let me just say it this way. See the mission, understand what the mission, the mission, God's mission, and then look for a point where you can put yourself into it. How can you plug into God's mission? You know, God's mission is so big, I can't even describe it other than just give you that one statement. God's mission is to try to restore his image in lost man by means of salvation. So how do you plug into that? Well, we'll try to narrow that down before we get done tonight. But that's part of what this is all about. Okay, so anyway, let me review a few of the definitions. I'm just going to go through them pretty quick. Mission, the word mission without just a singular, no plural, no S, God's desire to restore his image in lost man through salvation missions with an s the f- the fulfillment of god's mission by means of making disciples that's a key part right there the 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 um the effort to fulfill god's mission by means of making disciples and i I don't really need to dig down into making disciples I think this church should have a pretty good handle on what that means and then the word missionary and this is a two edged word here first one who is in fulfillment who in the fulfillment of god's mission is led by god to send out or to be sent sent to be sent out of his local church to reproduce that church in another people okay so that's what when we think when we use the word missionary we're thinking about people who go there like go overseas go to another country or whatever but also the word missionary i'm going to add an additional um it's people who serve in the church in what is called ministry, missionaries are people who serve in the church in the local church in, contained inside the church in things that are we that we use to define the word missionary or ministry but what is ministry then so real quick uh, this would be the long version but I'm going to try to speed it up through here to to verse uh, Ephesians chapter three verse ten to the intent that now by the unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So the goal of ministry is to work towards proclaiming the gospel to the world around us with our actions as well as our words that through the work of the body of Christ, the manifold wisdom of God is made known. So basically, ministry is what what gets done to let people know that there is a God. So ministry could be defined as this. Uh, let's see, where am I going? Yeah, there we go. What we do in order that God is glorified. What we do in order that God is glorified. That's part of it. His gospel is shared with the world and lives are rescued from eternity of separation. From an eternity of separation. Okay, so I'm going to jump on down here just a bit. The last last thing I gave you last week was a short definition. Ministry is mission is ministry is mission. Remember you saying that? So the four m s ministry is mission is ministry is mission. God makes no distinction between where you serve, what you do when you serve, how you plug into his his mission because his mission is the same whether it 's at heartland or if it 's in Belarus or if it 's in uh, Cambodia or if it 's in Argentina or anything. it doesn 't matter his mission is his mission it 's the same every place in the world it is the same even inside this church building. Okay, so let me see where I'm at here. The compelling human toll. Um, so I talked about this last week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through all of these numbers, but man is altogether in a sinful state. And unfortunately, sin is the reason that most men are, are um, uh, going to die uh, without, without Christ as Savior. In Psalm chapter 39, verse 5, it says, Behold, thou hast made my days as in hand breath, and mine age is as nothing before Thee. Verily, every man at his best is altogether vanity. And in John chapter nine verse twenty four, these aren't on the screen. I don't believe. No, they're not. John chapter 20, 20, uh, John chapter nine verse twenty four. Then again, called they the man that was blind, and said unto him, Give Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. The whole purpose of that he was blind because they said he was he was being punished for his sin but that's not what God is doing God is, we're, that's that's an idea but that's not where God is at so we talked about the condition of the world and I gave you a bunch of numbers and I I, I don't think you need I don't know I'm just gonna throw them up there and if there if you have blanks in your page you, if you want to fill them out go ahead I'll leave it up there long enough for you to do that that screen and then we'll get to the next screen Basically, there's a lot of people on the earth, and there has been a lot of people on the earth. That's basically what all this is about, is the compelling human toll. Um, And so all of these numbers represent lives, and they represent souls. Once everybody's got all those down, you have last week's handout. You'll have all those numbers anyway. I I don't see anybody else writing anything. Can I go on? Okay. Here we go. You wait again. Okay. Okay. So, um, despite uh, Christ's command to evangelize, sixty-seven percent of the humans from uh, from the time of Christ up up until present day, had never had an opportunity to hear the name of Jesus Christ. 67% of people didn't know Christ even existed. Uh, The next one was 91% of all Christians. Outreach evangelism does not target non-Christians, but targets other Christians. 91% of Christian outreach. Think about this. 91% of Christian outreach. The effort, like going out and evangelizing or trying to, Trying to tell somebody about Christ is not with the law, with the un, with the unreached, with the lost. It's it's our effort to reach the reach the saved and convert them to Baptist. Bring them into here. Uh, that's not. I don't mean necessarily bring them in here, but but uh, most evangelism doesn't target non Christians. They target other Christians. And then um, so in the last forty years. Over 1 billion people have died who have never heard Jesus Christ's name, and around 30 million people this year will perish without hearing the message of Christ, the message of salvation. More than 70,000 people die every day in the unreached world, never knowing about Jesus Christ. But we're not even going to talk about the unreached world necessarily, but that's a world where, where the Bible is not taught. Christians are not allowed to speak, uh, and maybe not even any Christians there. So the reason for mission is, is, uh, is that there is a plague in the world that has infected every human being, and that infection is sin, as we talked about last week. And God is pursuing a, a global purpose, which is to reconcile all things to himself. God wants to reconcile everything, and God uh, intentionally acts to affect all people to defeat evil spiritual powers and to draw unto himself voluntary loving worshipers and we'll talk i'll break that down for you in just a moment so god's purpose has three distinct attributes um i think let me get this one last The, the distinction between god's purpose and god's plan is the reason for god's mission he has a purpose for everybody He has a plan for everybody he needs to get people saved so he can execute his plan through your life. Okay, so three distinct attributes that I want to talk about. God's purpose has three distinct attributes, and these attributes reflect three areas of focus on what we call, what I call, ministry. First, God's focus or his intent is for people. Four people. God intends to bring redemptive blessing to every people, he wants to redeem every person. So so, his effort is towards people, so christ's crucifixion is a missionary act i don 't know if you ever thought about it that way, but Christ's coming to to die on the cross was a missionary act as payment for man's sin, and God will overcome evil in order to liberate mankind from the bondage of sin so on this here for four people, the priority for God is salvation for the people he 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 wants to reach the world. With with the message of salvation, and he needs your he needs you to be involved in doing that. Not that he couldn't do it on his own, because he can, but he wants you to be involved in it. The second attribute about God's plan is is towards towards Himself. Okay, so first it's for people, but then it's also towards Him. God desires that worship come to Him. Worship. The word worship means to give honor and homage, reverence, respect. Adoration, praise, glory, to a superior being. If you were to turn back to First Corinthians, and this is not on the, on the screen, but First Corinthians sixteen, verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine, it says, "Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and give, and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness." That's First First Chronicles chapter sixteen, verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine. And in the book of Proverbs, or, or I'm sorry, yeah, Proverbs, verse 16, chapter 16, verse 4, the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. The Lord hath made all things. And then, of course, in Revelation, I love this verse, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, it says, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou art created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So he, he deserves our worship so part of god's saving you is cuz he loves you but he also wants you to love him he wants you to worship him and then his salvation the third aspect of his salvation of his mission is against evil which is god's plan for his kingdom to restore his kingdom to a holy kingdom proverb i'm sorry psalm chapter 103 verse 19 the lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all So God will bring all things under his everlasting governance, which he intends to do. Uh, So all evil will be destroyed and and dealt with. Uh, Worship will be towards him alone. You know, the worship part of it, that's something that Satan desires for himself. Satan wanted that worship that goes to God, that should be going to God. He wants us to worship Satan. Satan wants us to worship him. Probably a better way to say that. But this kingdom reign is the substance of the blessing that, that God brings to the nations. In Psalm chapter one forty five, verse twelve, to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. So as it as we're thinking about own the mission, we intend to demonstrate a rejection of evil and its influence in any life. Okay. Um so we're not gonna go back and study out all of Genesis chapter one, verse 11, uh, through chapter eleven. But Genesis chapter one verse chapter one through chapter eleven describes the reasons for God's mission mandate. It gives us the reason why God trying to rescue everybody. Let me give you three reasons you probably already know what they are but first man man was attempting to make a name for himself under the leadership of Satan in three areas, three specific areas: first was the fall of man in Genesis chapter three verse five and when when Satan deceived Eve in chapter 3 and she ate of the fruit, that's what he wanted that to happen. That was where we would call the, the fall of man. And Genesis 3, 5 says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. So that's one of the reasons that God has to have a missionary uh, mission, a plan, is to recover man from that. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. The second thing, that happened in Genesis chapter 1 through chapters 11 is the the flood of Noah's time. That would be Genesis chapter 6 verse 11 where it says, There are giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and then bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. So two things have happened so far, and we've only gotten six chapters in the Bible. Man fell and man commingled with uh, fallen angels. And the third thing that happened was uh, get there, the Tower of Babel, the, the flight of the people confused in their language is what I said. But in, go, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name. That was man speaking. Let us make us a name. Let us, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So how did God respond? How did God respond to those three things? First off, uh, in, in Genesis chapter three verse fifteen, He made a very prophetic statement, and you might want to turn to that. As a, that's one of the first first prophecies in the Bible, Genesis chapter three verse fifteen. So this is God working out His plan to deal with man's sin and the, and and the the effect of man's sin uh, on their on on their soul and on their spirit. So Genesis chapter three verse fifteen. God says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so that's a uh, prophetic verse of the birth of Jesus Christ. When God is talking to both, he's talking to Adam and Eve and Satan at the same time. They're all standing there in a circle. And God says, this is what's going to happen. She's going to have a seed. That seed is going to be Christ and he's going to crush your head. And you have a seed and you're going to try to hurt him. But all you're going to do is just sting him in the heel, and he'll will walk with a limp for a little while. Uh, so, so this is where God is dealing with man's issues. And then in Genesis chapter nine, verse seven, uh, God God restores His commission uh, to what He had intended from Genesis chapter two. But in Genesis chapter nine, He tells Moses or tells Abraham, I can't get the right name, He tells Noah something to do. Genesis chapter 9, verse 7, he says, And you be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. You remember what he told, told Adam and Eve to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth? This is just a replacement of that same commission to do to do that. And then in Genesis chapter 12, which so Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, God deals with um, the promise of blessing on man, because that's what they were wanting. God says, I'll take care of that. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will, in this, now these next two verses are really the keys in this passage here. I will make thee a, make a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And that's, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about his 12, 12 sons. Uh, he's going he's, he's gonna to make them a great nation. That's Israel. And in verse three, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That would be everybody else in the world. That promise right there, that God says, through you, I will bless. Now, how did what did how did that happen? Well, uh, Christ came through the lineage of this of this of this family, all the way back to this time here, and uh, uh, through uh, the tribe of Judah one of the sons of, of Abram, um, the offspring. And so God is dealing with those kind of things, dealing with the, with, with the sin that was thrust upon man because man was being deceived by, by Lucifer. So let's go on. God's promise reveals his purpose. So God, God could have expressed his purpose in the form of a direct command about what he wanted done. I mean, it could have been really easy. God's the creator, right? God, God made everything out of nothing. You know what? God could have, could have just just made every, every human being saved right then. And he just said, make it happen. You're all saved. He could have done that. Question is, why didn't he do that? He didn't do that because he wanted it done a special way. He, he could have done it, but that would have, that would have actually overridden your will. Every one of us have a will. We get to decide, well, do we want to follow God or not follow God? Do we want to get saved or not get saved? Do we want to go to church or not go to church? We, those are decisions that we make every day. God says, I'm not going to override your decision. You have a free will. I've given you free will. Uh, we see what happened with free will with, with Satan. Satan had free will as well, and then he, he sinned, and he caused the, the rest of the sin that we just talked about. So uh, instead of commanding, uh, he chose to reveal... His purpose in the form of a promise. So what would you like better? A promise from God or be told what to do? I personally would like a promise. I want the promise. You know why? Because I trust God will fulfill his promises. I mean, he can tell me what to do and I'll do it. But it'd be better if I could just hear a promise So God. will I think all of us are that way. You know, nobody likes to be lied to. Nobody likes having their promises broken. And every one of us have broken promises and have had promises broken towards us as well, haven't we? Hurts. It's no fun. So he wanted to reveal his, the, his purpose in the form of a promise. And so the Genesis story that we just kind of went through forms the basis for the story of mission. God created all things, including man. Man rebelled, bringing God's judgment upon man. And then this judgment is relieved by the promise of the coming gospel. That's why I showed you Genesis three fifteen. that promise, the promise of that seed coming, that's part of the, the fulfillment of his promise. I'm going to take care of you through this seed. The seed of the woman will bruise and crush the serpent. The seed will conquer death. This promise is followed by the results of the fall of man, and it's alienated, that are alienated from God and each other, leaving man in darkness, moral decay, and separation. But out of this deterioration, God called out a man named Abram. Genesis chapter 12 that I just got run done reading and he called out that man and that man through his descendants would be a mighty nation and through that nation the rest of the world would be blessed now when he says blessed he's not just talking about oh you know you, you get you get a special house to live in he's talking about you get life eternal that's the blessing that he's referring to so this promise is both a personal and a global promise. Instead of ordering man to do a job step by step, he expressed what he wanted to, be, to see fulfilled in your heart, in your life, in, in this church's life. He said, this is what I want to see fulfilled. Will you do it? It says if God is actually asking you, will you do this? Will you plug in someplace? Will you own some of this mission that I'm doing? Not that he can't do it without you, because he could. He could do anything he wanted, but he wants you. He wants you to plug in. Okay, so the fulfillment of the promise reveals five truths about God. Five truths about God. First, he is the God of history. There is nothing random. God is working out his plan in time. So you've probably heard the word history is split it in half. His story, H-I-S-S-T-O-R-Y, his story. Okay, so it's history. Nothing is nothing is random. God's working out His plan. Jesus Christ, as the seed, is the key figure. And then, okay, that first thing is God is a God of history. Secondly, God is a God of covenant. The word covenant means promise, a testimonial promise. And the, the strength of a covenant promise, it's 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 solidified. It's 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 it's, it's um, uh, what word I use here? It's. Grant, is guaranteed through blood being shed. So, the the uh, the covenant promises that God made was through His shed blood, through His the shed blood of, Christ, of His Son Jesus Christ. You have eternal life as a promise, that covenant promise that you will He will never take that away from you because Christ can't. Go, he, his blood has been shed. You can't. You can't restore that. You can't start over again. The third thing about God. Uh, is that he is a God of blessing, which we saw in Genesis chapter twelve. He is also the God of mercy, and he is the God of mission. So the nations are not gathered automatically uh, to receive this blessing just automatically. They are they are they are gathered through the seed of Abraham. Now, you've got to think about it this way: God scattered the human race at Babel. This is an interesting thing. So we didn't. We talked a little bit about Babel, how God came down, confused the languages, and they all scattered. God scattered them. But you know what God's wanting to do now? He wants you to gather them. God scattered, you gather. That's what he wanted Israel to do. God scattered, he wanted Israel to to gather. He wants you to gather, his people, you're, you're, you're the child of God. He wants you to gather the people to bring them back in, to recover them back to God. So we are Abraham's seed by faith, according to Romans chapter 4, and the families of the earth are blessed only by our going forth in faith and gathering them back into God. We need to own the mission so that we can gather people back into where God is at. That is the purpose of, that is God's purpose, and this is the outline of your message about what God is planning for all souls. This thing that we just went through. Every person is experiencing, has experienced sin. Even at a young age, you know, babies, child's first start saying no to mom, disobedient to the parents. That's a sin, you know, then you know, and it's, well, without going through a whole list of things, you all know all of that kind of stuff already because you've lived it. And God still worship. He still loves you enough that he's going to overlook that sin. and He's still going to bring you into him. Okay. So God's people are to be a participant in his purpose. So three ways that God's people are to participate. So God's purpose emphasizes what God will do, but his believers, that would be you and me, will not be passive, should not be passive observers of the fulfillment of this promise. God's, gonna, God's, God's purpose emphasizes what he will do. That's his promise. But we are not passive observers of his promise. There's an expectation See where am I at here? That's not on the screen. Thought it should have been. There's an expectation of participation by God's people, who are to participate in three ways. So here's three ways you you participate in owning the mission. Number one, proclaim His plan to all the families of the earth. That would be Genesis chapter one, verses one to three. that we just or chapter twelve, verses one to three? You probably didn't pick up on it, but God made three promises to to Abram when He made those. God made three promises, uh, and um, He promised that that uh, that uh, that He would be blessed, that He would have a nation, a mighty nation, and that all the people on the earth would be blessed by, through Him. And all we're doing is communicating that as well. He says, "I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great." And then this is followed with an ex- with a uh, an expectation of what to do. With what has been given. In Genesis chapter twelve, verse two, it says, "I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing." So God expected Abraham to be a blessing, as well as re- receive His own blessing. But He wants to, He wants to him to be a blessing to the world. However, God was not saying so that you that you bless yourselves. He wasn't telling Abraham. I'm going to bless you so you can bless yourself. He said, I'm going to bless you so you can bless others. So what does that mean for a church, a Christian? We're uh, Abraham's seed uh, through through the Spirit. We are to help, So, we are blessed by God so that we can be a blessing to the world. That's part of the plan. How do we be a blessing to the world? Plug into the word, into the mission? God will show you how to do that. God expected Abraham to be a blessing as well as receive one, but God also was not saying so you can bless yourselves. And then the um, the, th- the second thing is the second yeah the second thing is that God wants us to participate in His priesthood, and that's back in Exodus chapter nineteen, verses four to six. So God's grace was on display. When he brought Israel to Mount Sinai, you remember the story when they, they, they wandered to the desert, they left Egypt, uh, they crossed the Red Sea, and they made their way to Mount Sinai. And then three days later, um, Moses brought down the tablets and stuff. So God's grace was on display when he brought Israel to the, to the mountain. In Exodus 19, verse 4, it says, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. So God, that's the blessing that God gave to them. In response uh, to to the grace God specifies, three ministries for Israel and all believers. Three things that we're supposed to do as a church. Be a portable treasure, which means God called Israel a particular treasure, meaning they were valuable to him. So you and, you and I are valuable to God as well. Israel was to be God's son, according to Exodus chapter 4. And the emphasis is on the portability of God's message. The cool thing about your responsibility is, what you have to give is portable. It's easily transferable. You, you can give it from yourself to somebody else, and it doesn't take away what you have. Isn't it a cruel thing? You have the gift of Christ. You have the gift of God in you. You're saved. You're, you're born again. You're a believer, and you can share that with somebody else and never, deten- never diminish what you have, but they can have it too. You can be, that's how you become a blessing to other people. You don't have to, like, okay, I'm going to give you a part of my salvation. You're not giving your salvation. You're not giving that. You are, you're giving the word. You're giving the message, and you're not degenerating or detracting from or taking away from anything that you have from God. Isn't that cool? You know how it is sometimes, you know, if you win a million dollars, your family comes along and says, hey, you know, remember that time when I helped you? You, you need to give me $30,000. And when you give them the 30,000, now you've just diminished your, your million, right? Well, that's not how this works. God says, you've got life eternal forever, never to change. And you can give that away to somebody else, and it will not diminish from what you have. You will never not have all that I've given you. That's such an awesome thing. That's just amazing to me right now as I'm thinking about it, because this is not in my nose. It's just the thought about the fact that God... What you give to somebody else doesn't diminish from what you have. But why don't we share it as much then? Why don't we share it as as easily? It's not like you're going to lose it. Well, they're going to steal your, your gift. No. I mean, they might steal a gift, you know, if you had a, you know, a Ferrari or something, they might want to steal that, you know, but they're not going to steal your life eternal because they can never take that away because your life eternal is held in God. Anyway, we can go on for that for a while. Okay, well, now where am I at? Ah, okay. So under the participating his, in his priesthood, um, we are to be a portable treasure. We are also to be mediators and servants. Now, God called Israel to be a kingdom of priests. Israel was to function as mediators between God and the nations. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, For you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. He's talking about the believers, the Christians. A holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, Jesus Christ says, And hath made us kings and priests, or John's writing this, And made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and, do- and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The people, that Israel did ref- the people of Israel, unfortunately, they did refuse to take their role of being a blessing to other nations. They took it and threw it away. They didn't want to do that. They, they resisted. If you're not Israel, if you're not Jewish, we don't want to talk to you. If you're not Israel, you're a dog. If you're not Israel, you're, you're, you're worthless. They didn't do what they did. You know, why, would, why would a church do that? Why would a church act like you're worthless because you're not a you're you're uh you're whatever you're you're not us, so therefore you can't be us. We should never do that. That's the wrong attitude of a Christian, but there's churches out there that are like that. Thank goodness this church is not one of them okay, so anyway, so be a portable treasure, be a mediator, and third be an ambassador. God called Israel to be a holy nation. Israel was to be holy by giving themselves holy to the Lord. And Israel was to represent God and mediate his words to the nation, which is what we're supposed to do. In fact, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul says that you have been given the ministry of reconciliation to be an ambassador. It's the same thing here, be an ambassador. And the third thing that we're looking at here, the third thing, uh, the ways that, that we're supposed to participate in God's mission is to prove his purpose to bless all nations. Now, Psalm chapter 67 is, is the whole psalm is really, a, just lays all of this out very clearly. But I'm not going to take the time to go through that tonight. Uh, but I would encourage you to, to read through Psalm 50, 67 and see if you can pull out for yourself. It's a good Bible study for you. Personal Bible study at home. Just see what you can pull out. Uh, every verse, every two verses has a different, con- different context and different aspect of it. Um, we don't have time to, like I said, but God's love will, will become clear. Um, the nations to, uh, his love will become clear to the nations to the extent that his blessing becomes evident. That's part of what verse Psalm 67 talks about. This is why Israel was blessed and why the new Testament believers are blessed, not for their benefit, but for the world to see God. Your benefit, your blessing is for you to be a vessel for people to see God. Okay. Um, Let's see where we're at here. Okay. So um, God's, uh, God's promise displays his final victory. So before Genesis chapter 1, 1, there extended, there existed God's kingdom. God's kingdom has never not been. With, de- with delegated authority to rule and lead in worship, he was given that was given the ruler of that kingdom. Was given to Lucifer, so I'm going to kind of go back a little bit and kind of paint paint another picture for you. Um, delegate the delegated authority to rule and lead worship was given to Lucifer, the anointed cherub, and you can read about that in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. We won't turn there. Lucifer was given freedom. Yeah, there we are. Thanks. Lucifer was given freedom of choice, which is a critical test of allegiance to the will of God. Unfortunately, Lucifer took his eyes off of God and put his eyes on himself, and he fell in prideful sin, which he exercised his will to exalt himself above God. This rebellion led to the fall of one-third of the angelic host, and it's almost led to the creation of a satanic counter-kingdom, referred to as the kingdoms of this world that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 11. So all of that happened. And so what God do in, in response to that is God created man in response to this rebellion. God gave man the same kind of free will that he gave to Lucifer. Let me just say you about a free will. A free will is the only soil in which the love and the, and the grace of God can flourish. If you didn't have free will, then his love and his grace would never flourish in your life. God's test of their will, man's will, was to, to forbid them eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and if they had turned to God instead of eating the fruit, um, then the failure that led to rebellion of man would have been removed and, the, and things would have just been moving right along fine. God's strategy to deal with both problems is found in one single verse in Genesis chapter 3. We've already read that verse, but I'll put the enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. So this seed of, the, of this woman is prophetically Jesus Christ. And through the seed, of seed, God will destroy Satan to, by victory through his death. This is God's kingdom program. And through the seed, God will redeem man, bringing them under the rule of Christ. And this is God's redemption program. So he's got several programs. He's got a kingdom program. He's got a redemption program. And he's got a salvation program. And God overcomes both problems in one mission through his son. I think I'm where, yeah, there it is. God God overcomes both missions and w- both problems in one mission through his son. He redeems in order to rule and he rules in order to redeem. And these two strategies have one single purpose, which is God's greater glory and worship. So through, through God's mission, he will draw from every people voluntary worshipers who will manifest his love and grace. And through God's mission, He both destroys evil and redeems people. That is a cool thing. And he just wants you to be a part of it. Okay, so let me give you our mandate from the Bible about owning a mission. So through the Bible, through the Bible, we find our responsibility is to be involved in God's mission. His mission gives us a gospel to proclaim. You know, you have a message. You have that gospel to proclaim. It tells you how to proclaim it and the bible promises god's power for salvation to every believer. And it should be evident that the degree of commitment to the local in the local church to missions is directly related to the conviction about the authority of scripture. So just to kind of emphasize that a little bit, if a church doesn't believe the book, they're not going to be very mission minded. If you don't believe the book, you won't be very mission minded either. Because it has to cuz the the book is basically our our guidance for everything that we do, including missions. And so if we don't believe the book, then we wouldn't do missions. When Christians lose their confidence in the Bible, they lose their zeal to own the mission. You know, sometimes I I have seen, maybe you have seen too, where where somebody was really on fire, and we use that term a lot, somebody's on fire for the Lord. They're burning. The passion is burning, and it's burning brightly, and it's burning, just a consuming. We use that expression, and that's all I'm talking about. So if somebody's on fire, and then all of a sudden, the fire goes out. You just scratch your head and say, what happened? What, what? They left. They, they're gone. They're out of church. They, they're no, What happened to so-and-so? Well, they left about six months ago. What? Why'd they leave? Well, well, you'd have to go ask them because it's a shame, but that happens. I've seen missionaries leave the field. I've seen pastors resign uh i've seen all this kind of stuff because they lose their confidence in the bible they lose their zeal to own the mission but when they were when they're convinced of the bible they are determined about owning the mission if you are convinced about the bible you should be wanting to own the mission is it kind of goes hand in hand let me give you four truths uh about why christians view the bible affects their response to god's mission how you how you see the bible affects how you respond to his mission number one the Bible gives us our mandate for mission. Now, when I say mandate, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the mandate to wear a mask. It's a, it's a directive. The Bible gives us a mandate for mission. Two phenomena are rapidly occurring today. You know what those two phenomena are? Not about masks or anything. First, one of the phenomena that's occurring rapidly is a religious fanaticism, which is the irrational zeal using force to compel belief and destroy unbelief. That's that's happening in a lot of places where not necessarily a Christian, but sometimes Christian or call themselves Christian. And the second phenomenon that's happening is religious pluralism, which encourages complacency and indifference. Self-described, this is an interesting statistic. Self-described atheists now account for 4% of the U.S. adults. It's significantly higher than what it was in 2009 when only 2% of the people claimed to be atheists or agnostic or nothing in particular. Um, well, agnostic or nothing in particular stands at 26% of adults in the United States Say that they, they're agnostic. they agnostic. They don't really care one way or the other. It could be a God, I don't care. It could not be a God, I don't care. 26% of the population, that's, that's a quarter of our population. Quarter of our adult population actually this is a lot. As of July twenty, Ju- July twenty nineteen, two hundred and fifty six people said that they were not they they were agnostic or don't or have a I don't care attitude. About two thirds of that of that population, sixty five percent, identify as Christians, meaning that there are now roughly one hundred sixty seven million Christians in, in the United States, supposedly. It also means that approximately 93 million lost in the US today alone lost to the to the to the to the gospel. So, um wherever these people are found, world evangelism and missions is resented and rejected. Cuz what we're trying to do is accomplish what God wants to do and they reject it and they resent it. Fanatics refuse to tolerate the revival mission bearing that revival missions tolerate they they refuse to tolerate the revival that mission brings and we have more than just a great commission propelling us we have entirely the scripture doing telling us to do it as well the second thing the second truth is this the bible gives uh gives us the message to take on mission so you don't even have to really think about this you have everything you need to do mission you have a message our message comes out of the bible we're not left to invent the message It's been deposited with us. 1 Timothy 6.20. I love this this verse. 1 Timothy 6.20. Timothy, and you could change that name to your name, whatever. Oh, whatever your name is. Oh, Randy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Keep that which is committed to me. What was committed to me? What was committed to you from God? What was it? It was that message, the gospel message. He gave you that. He's committed that to you. So throughout the Bible, God is on mission. He's communicating to the world uh, the the idea of good news. And the scripture preaches the good news. Galatians chapter uh, 3, verse 8. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the the scripture preached. Isn't that a cool thing? The scripture preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, "In these shall all nations be blessed. So we just simply follow the model that God has given to us in the giving of the gospel. And God will choose to to uh, communicate his gospel in the form of human language images and cultures. almost finished. yet God was speaking of his own word in second peter one twenty one Remember he says that for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So God had a message, but he used the voices of men in their character to communicate that message Now, when i say in their character he took these men these these holy men of god that were moved by this holy spirit holy ghost to write god will move you to say to speak but he uses your character he doesn't modify your character he doesn't change your personality he uses who you are you know i know sometimes i've listened to people that have you know had an opportunity like when i was on a mission trip or something and we're we're all out street preaching, street, you know, evangelizing on the streets or something. And so we're talking to some person. And this is the another team member, and he's sharing the gospel. And I'm thinking, I would never say that. I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, I would never say that. In his mind, he's thinking, this is exactly what I need to say. But it's okay. What he said is not wrong. Just See, if I get in the way, I mess up the message. But God was speaking through that that person. So I don't, if I get in the way, I would have messed up the whole message, but I keep my mouth shut. But that's how God works. He gives us the thing to say, and he tells us how to say it. He takes care of it. God had a message, but he used the voices of men in their character to communicate that message. And the same is illustrated in the incarnation of the Son, Jesus Christ. The divine became flesh, but the divine did not lose his identity of God. He He still identified as God. And this is the model that we must use. Identify the word from God without sacrificing identification of who the word is. Others immerse themselves into a culture after, uh, of their service, and then they surrender their Christian values when they do that. You've got to be careful about that as well. And then the last truth, we're almost done, uh, the truth of the Bible. The Bible gives us the power to engage in mission. The feeble human cannot evangelize without the power from God. We, we just can't do it. We don't have the strength to do it. Nor can we accomplish much against the might of the devil or the hardness of the human heart. Our power, though, does come from the word of God and from the preaching of the gospel. 1 Corinthians two four, In my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Paul even, as much as Paul could speak. He had, he was had an eloquent voice. He 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 had he had all kinds of knowledge in his head, and he could speak. But he said in this fast, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. It wasn't because I was educated that I speak this way. It was because of the, what the Holy Spirit, the demonstration of the Spirit, and the power of the Word. That's what I'm speaking of, and that's such a cool thing. We have access to all of that. The whole point of all of this is that is that we have access to all of this. Uh, and to, to own the mission so let me wrap this up real quick because i'm going to give you some things not necessarily a homework assignment like i did last week but some things to really pray about and think about so what is what should your takeaway be tonight what should you take away when you walk out to the parking lot and go home i'll give you a couple of things first identify that which you are engaged in does it apply to advance whatever it is is it advancing the mission what's the mission? God's mission God desires that all that, that his that he redeems all people back to himself, so does whatever you're doing fit that secondly, identify whether you're whether what you're doing can be seen as a direct link to the mission of God to restore his image and lost man by means of salvation so it's kind of both the same thing, but maybe the way I type, when I was typing it I was just typing so uh, identify that you what you're engaged in is advancing the mission. And identify whether what you're doing is a direct link to the mission of God. Can you if you were to like draw a a flow chart, you know, top bottom, you know, top is God, work your way down to yourself. Is do you have a link to his mission? Can you show it that link? I hope so. And I don't have an example for you right now, so you can think about that, but maybe God'll give you what I'm not missing or what I am missing. Anyway. Ask yourself the following questions. i got three questions, four questions. They're not on the screen, I don't think. Nope, they're not on the screen. Maybe they are. Yeah, identify that you're engaged in. Identify whether you're doing, doing it a direct link. And ask yourself, I'm just going to put all the questions up there right now. Four questions, real quick. Are you preparing yourself fully to own your role in the mission? Are you fully preparing yourself to own the role in the mission? The second question is, what are you doing to fan the flame of mission in others? Are you helping others to fan that flame of of the passion that Jeremiah had or that Paul acted on in every part of his life? Are you helping other people do that? The third question is, what priority is your time, talents, and treasures turned to? And fourth, can you identify yourself with the heart of ministry like Jeremiah's, whose heart never stopped burning and he could never stop serving, or the men on the road to Emmaus who turned away and went home. Which one are you? So next Monday, ten o'clock. No, I'm sorry. Next Monday, nine o'clock. We'll be on part three. We'll look at occupying. Um, so, uh, any questions or anything? We got like one minute left. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay, tell me where you're at again, because my notes are different than yours. Was that towards the front? Yeah, I, I, I got 20 pages of... Roman numeral 6? Okay, let me get to that. Hang on. Okay, Roman numeral 6. I am there. Okay. B... It's, my notes, my outline is completely different than yours, so I'm not going to be able to go over of that. Tell you what, let's. Uh, I know where you're talking about it. I know what it, and I, I'm trying to remember what I what I wrote. But, oh, the result of the twofold problem a satanic counter kingdom and humans in rebellion. It wasn't 6B, but it wasn't number three. Okay, anything else? All right. So, like I mentioned last week, I'm not trying to turn everybody into missionaries that are going to go across the ocean or go plant a church or anything, although, if that's what God wants you to do, then we'll, we'll help you get there. But what I want you to understand is that everybody has a role to play in the mission, the mission of God. Everybody has a role to play. And we just need to find out where that is. It could be a small role. It could be a great big role. It could be something in between all of that. It could be multiple roles, but it could. But there's a role that we all play in mission. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your Son Jesus.